I didn't think I was being hit by that baby thing the way my wife is being hit by that baby thing, but oh my goodness. Okay, I got to, I know, grandbaby, yeah, well, let's get that right, grandbaby thing. Grand, I'm an old man now, I love the idea of a baby at my age, whoa, okay, no, it's great. So as, as Paul shared, we are in a sermon series talking about holiness, and when you hear this term, holy, what comes to mind? As I talk to different people, especially when I talk to non-church people, when we talk about holiness, when we talk about being holy, the definition that non-church people tend to have on the topic of holiness is more the definition of self-righteousness, of people who think they're better than everybody else who just constantly wave a holy finger at the world, telling them how much they're no good and how much God hates them and how much God is going to punish them unless they turn their life around. And we've gotten really good as followers of Jesus of waving a finger. And what personally I love so much about the topic of holiness is it forces you and me to turn the finger in a different direction. (laughs) is that you and I should be waving the finger here. (laughs) You see, because holiness, what it means is that God has chosen to set you apart. That God, when he steps into the life, when you repent of your sin, turn from a life of sin and turn your heart to Jesus, God plucks you out of a life that you were living and puts you into a whole new life. And God doesn't just want to change your Sunday morning. (laughs) Because there's a lot of things that you and I can do on a Sunday morning to occupy our time. God's not interested in just changing Sunday morning. He's interested in changing every single aspect of who you are. That's why the pursuit of holiness is a journey to become whole. That's why we did a little play on words with this sermon series. Is that God is calling us to be whole. Right, my favorite verse, well, not my favorite verse, but my verse that I've picked as a theme verse for me personally this year is 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23, where it says, May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, God wants to work on our emotions. God wants to work on our thoughts. God wants to work on our heart. And I actually believe that God actually wants to work in our physical lives as well. God brings all of us on a journey to become whole. And that's the beauty of this thing called church, is that all of us are at a different spot in this holiness journey. The goal is not to be waving a finger that someone else's holiness journey isn't where mine is, but it's to wave it here so that God can use me to bring other people along on their journey. And sometimes it gets messy, and sometimes we don't get along, and sometimes we split, and sometimes we do all of these things that we've seen in church history. But the goal is to be holy, just as Jesus is holy, set apart and different. And so we let Jesus work in every single part of our lives. And so to conclude this series, I know kids are sitting there going, what do you mean conclude it? I didn't hear any of it. That's okay. This is the best one. Okay, so this is the best message out of the series. 
because it's from the Bible. So that's what makes it best. (laughs) Okay. I want to talk about something called your volitional life. Now that's a big old fancy word. And I'm going to be honest. When I came up with the word, I wrote this word down about six months ago. And then when I was working on this series, I had to look it up again going, why did I write this word down? I have no clue what this means. I must've read it in a book. And it spoke to me when I read it in the book six months ago. This is talking about your will. This is talking about your will. Not your will, like if you've got like that piece of paper to what to do with your stuff when you die. Not that will. Your drive to make decisions. Like To help you understand your will, I want you to think for a moment. Have you ever had a time in your life where you desperately wanted something, but it just wasn't? happening you ever have that experience where like like you like you wanted a certain job you wanted a certain relationship you wanted a certain amount of money in your bank account whatever it was you wanted a certain degree and it just seemed like things were stacked against you and what you wanted in your will just wasn't happening anyone again show hands this has happened to you at some point in your life right a whole lot of us right now some of us What we do when it just doesn't seem like it's happening, we go into full make it happen mode. This is my natural default. When the thing that I want doesn't seem to be happening, I turn into how does Kevin make this happen? What book do I got to read? What conference do I got to go to? What special prayer do I got to do? What magic word? All of these things, because I've got this little thing in my heart that goes, Kevin's will be done. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. (laughs) Kevin's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. (laughs) That is how flesh works. So we have to talk about this thing called our will. Now, this isn't going to be a a sermon on God's sovereignty and man's free will. That's a deep, deep rabbit hole about God's sovereignty and the choice of humanity and how all of that stuff works. That's a 10-week seminary-level course that the church still disagrees on the answer. Okay, that question actually came up in my ordination several years ago, and someone like sitting right about there asked me the question, how does God's will work in your salvation? And I looked at them, like, really, you're trying to snooker me on this one thing that we're so in disagreement on? And I looked at him, I said, God is completely sovereign, and humanity has the complete total free will to reject him. And how does that work? I have no idea. I, I, I have no idea. It's one of those amazing mysteries of the word of God is that God is completely and totally sovereign. But you and I have the complete and total free will to reject him or accept him. It's one of the mysteries. It's just like the the mystery of the fullness, that Jesus is the fullness of God, but is completely human. Can you explain that one? It's hard to fully explain. There's so many mysteries, right? So what I want us to do is we're going to look at a very familiar Bible passage. If you have a Bible with you, I'd really encourage you to follow along in your Bible today because I'm going to read the whole chapter because it's a big story. And I want to read the entirety of the stories. We're going to read from Numbers chapter 22 because I want us to look at our will. How are you and I living our lives in such a way to control 
our lives, to dictate how people around us are living their lives. And so this story is very familiar. The first part might not be as familiar, but everybody knows the second part. And honestly, the movie Shrek um, ruined this passage for me. Because you're going to read this passage here, and we're going to get to the talking donkey. And all of you are going to start doing it in the voice of Eddie Murphy. Okay? I won't. Let me rephrase. I will try really hard not to. But, I mean, Shrek just ruined this passage for me because I just can't read it anymore without thinking about the talking donkey from Shrek, the movie. Okay, and so just a little bit of context before I, I read this is this section of the of the book of Numbers. Um, there's a king who hires a sorcerer to put a curse on the people of God, because this is coming towards the end of the 40 year journey of the people of Israel in the wilderness. They're about to enter into the promised land. And the kings on the other side of the Jordan River, while they've been seeing what God is doing through the Israelites on the other side of the river, and they're getting afraid. Like they're not liking what they're seeing. And so this one king that we're going to read about kind of has to really step in to try to stop what God is doing. Okay, so let me read here from Numbers chapter 22. Like I said, I'm going to read the whole thing, but I encourage you to follow along in your Bible with me as I read. Numbers chapter 22 says this. So then the Israelites, they traveled to the plains of Moab, and they camped along the Jordan across from Jericho. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw that all the Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was terrified because there were so many people. Indeed, Moab was filled with dread because of the Israelites. So the Moabites, they said to the elders of Midian, this horde is going to lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. So Balak, son of Zippor, who was the king of Moab at the time, sent messengers to summon Balaam, son of Beor, who was at Pethor near the Euphrates River in his native land. And Balak said, a people has come out of Egypt. They cover the face of the land and have settled next to me. Now come and put a curse on these people, because they are too powerful for me. Perhaps then I will be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that whoever you bless is blessed, and whoever you curse is cursed. And then the elders of Moab and Midian left, taking with them the fee for divination. And when they came to Balaam, they told him what Balak had said. So spend the night here, Balaam said to them, and I will report back to you with the answer the Lord gives me. So the Moabite officials stayed with him. And so God came to Balaam and asked, who are these men with you? And Balaam said to God, Balak, son of Zippor, king of Moab, sent me this message. (coughs) Excuse me. A people that had come out of Egypt covers the face of the land. Now come and put a curse on them for me. Perhaps then I will be able to fight them and drive them away. But then God said to Balaam, do not go with them. You must not put a curse on those people because they are blessed. And the next morning, Balaam got up and he said to Balak's officials, go back to your own country for the Lord has refused to let me go with you. So the Moabite officials, they returned to Balak, the king, and they said, Balaam refuses to come with us. So Balak sent other officials 
you know, his will doesn't like the answer, so he's doing more, <laughs> right? He's going to send other officials, more numerous, more distinguished than the first. And they came to Balaam, and they said, this is what Balak, son of Zippor, says. Do not let anything keep you from coming to me, because I will reward you handsomely and do whatever you say. Come and put a curse on these people for me. But Balaam answered them, even if Balak gave me all the silver and gold in his palace, I could not do anything great or small to go beyond the command of the Lord my God. Now spend the night here so that I can find out what else the Lord will tell me. That night God came to Balaam and said, since these men have come to summon you, go with them, but do only what I tell you. That's the first half of the story. You got this king and you've got this sorcerer and they're trying to (laughs) make sure that their will is being done. You've got this king who is worried about these people on the other side of the river because he knows they're blessed. He knows that God is doing amazing things through them and he doesn't want to lose his kingdom. (laughs) He doesn't want to lose his blessing, his power, his prestige, his life. And so he's going to do whatever it takes to stop this bad thing from happening to him. Now, it doesn't sound like a bad thing from wanting to stop bad things from happening to you. But that's where this king is at. And then you've got this. Some people call him a prophet, but we see he, he, he's a seer. He, 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 he's a sorcerer. Um, and which is weird is that he calls him that he says God is his God. And at this point in the history of Israel, we don't meet a lot of people who are not Israelites who also worship the Lord. In fact, at this point in your Old Testament, there's two. And they don't have the full law of God. They don't have the full commands of God. They don't have the full understanding of God. But they know enough about God to go, yeah, this God's pretty powerful. And if this God speaks, I should listen. And that's who this Balaam is, right? And so then the story continues into the part that is more familiar to a lot of us. It says, so then Balaam got up in the morning and he saddled his donkey and he went with the Moabite officials. But God was very angry when he went. And the angel of the Lord stood in the road to oppose him. So Balaam was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand, it turned off the road into a field. Balaam beat it to get it back on the road. And then an angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path along, uh, sorry, through the vineyards with walls on both sides. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it pressed close to the wall, crushing Balaam's foot against it. So he beat the donkey again. And then an angel of the Lord moved on ahead and stood in a narrow place where there was no room to turn, either to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, it laid down under Balaam. And he was angry, and he beat it with his staff. And then the Lord opened the donkey's mouth and said to Balaam, What have I done to you to make you beat me these three times? And then Balaam just answered the donkey, You know, you've made a fool of me. If only I had a sword in my hand, I would kill you right now. It's funny that Balaam's not kind of freaked out that the donkey's talking. (laughs) Right? I think I'd have bigger issues on my mind right now than killing a disobedient donkey. Because again, at this point of your Bible, can you name another talking animal? 
No, you can't. There's one. Snake. A serpent. Parrots. There you go. That's, okay, you got me. You busted me. Okay, but that's not in the text. Okay, that's another animal. Okay. That's why I love working with children and animals. You never know where it's going to go. Okay. There's only one other talking animal in your, in your Bible at this point, and it's a serpent who completely sets humanity on a completely different track, who exerts his will over God's plan for humanity. And now suddenly you've got this other donkey who's actually obedient to God, has a good intent to protect and to save his master. And the master can't see what the donkey sees, right? So then it it continues in verse 30. The donkey said to Balaam, am I not your own donkey, which you have always ridden to this day? Have I been in the habit of doing this to you? Balaam answers, no. And then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with his sword drawn. So he bowed low and fell down. And the angel of the Lord asked him, why have you beaten your donkey these three times? I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. The donkey saw me and turned away from me three times. If it had not turned away, I would certainly have killed you by now but I would have spared it. I would have spared the donkey. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. I, do not, I did not realize you were standing in the road to oppose me. Now, if you are displeased, I will go back. And the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, go with the men, but speak only what I tell you. So Balaam went with Balak's officials. When Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him at the Moabite town on the Arnon border at the edge of his territory. And Balak said to, ba- uh, to Balaam, did I not send you an urgent summons? Why didn't you come to me? I am, really not able to, am I really not able to reward you? Balaam replies, well, I've come to you now, but I can't say whatever I please. I must speak only what God puts in my mouth. And then Balaam went with Balak to Kiriath. Hosan, Balak sacrificed cattle and sheep and gave some to Balaam and the officials who were with him. And the next morning, Balak took Balaam up to Bamoth Baal. And from there, he could see the outskirts of the Israelite camp. Okay, a long story. A long story here. But I love this story when it talks to help me think about my will. The things that I want from life. The things that I want to see happen. And I want to see actually a lot of really good things happen. Like I, I, I'm not wishing like for greedy things. I'm not trying to will a, a Lamborghini. I'm not trying to will a billion dollars. I'm not trying to will a really awesome plasma screen 72-inch television that I need for ministry. <laughs> I'm not trying to will anything like that. That's selfish. Is I want to see more and more and more and more and people come to know Jesus. I want to see this church fill up to the point where we're doing another service and another service and another service and another service and another service. I want to see Greenbelt plant 20 churches in the next 20 years. Like I got crazy dreams that I man alive. I want to make this happen. Right? So sometimes when it comes to our will, it's not that we're willing bad things. But we have to ask ourselves, are we willing God's things? Are we trying to bring into existence 
what God wants to do in our lives? Are we trying to bring into existence what I want for my life? And so the big idea that I want you to try to remember as you think about uh, Numbers chapter 22 is this, is our pursuit of wholeness, our pursuit of holiness must be a pursuit of God's will for all parts of our lives. See, our holiness journey is all about figuring out God's will for every single part of our lives. Now, I'm not the type of Christian who wakes up in the morning and says, Lord, what color socks should I wear today? Okay, I'm not that guy. And if you are, God bless you in your relationship with God that way. I think sometimes God just lets us do things. Because he's given us a brain, he's given us the church, he's given us his word. There's a lot of things that I actually don't need to pray about when it comes to knowing God's will. A couple of quick examples. God, should I be nice to my neighbor? I don't need to pray that. Because the Bible's pretty clear that I'm supposed to love my neighbor as myself. But God, doesn't that mean just the neighbors I like? And the neighbors who are like me and believe like me and practice like I practice and all of these things? No, doesn't say that. It says love your neighbor as yourself. I don't have to pray that. I don't have to pray, God, should I be generous? I don't have to pray that because God says, word says to be generous. I don't have to pray, God, should I volunteer in the church? I don't need to pray that. What I should be praying is, God, how can I volunteer in the church? Because every single Christian has been given a spiritual gift for the building up of the body of Christ. You don't have to pray, should I? We should be praying, how should I? Right? There's certain things that we already know God's will. Yet you and I choose every single day to either step into God's will or to step out of God's will. And we need to figure that out. So how can this passage from Numbers chapter 22 help us to figure this out? Three questions that I want you to ask yourself. Again, this whole series has been about you and me. It's not about Ben looking at the person sitting beside us and going, boy, I really hope you're listening to this because he's preaching to you right now. No, it's not the point. The point is, God, speak to me. Here are three questions to ask yourself today. The first question is this. What drives my will? What is driving me? It's interesting how Balaam, at the beginning of Numbers chapter 22, when he hears from God, God says, don't go. Don't do it. And Balaam is obedient to what God tells him. Right? And then the text continues, and the king then says, well... I've got lots of money and I'm going to send people who are more prestigious and I'm going to sit there and and hopefully the the bigger offer, the bigger prestige, these more powerful people, they're going to convince you to go. And then what we see is Balaam then goes back to God and says, well, God, can I go? He already got his answer. Did God change at this point? Not yet. Okay. He already got his answer. What changed was the amount of money to come to him. 
So he goes back to God. But God, 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 God. There's a whole lot more money here. There's a whole lot more prestige here. Like I can be somebody now. Like, and, and I'm going to go there to speak on your behalf. And it's interesting, the language that's used here, like in Numbers chapter 22, verse 22, the, the English doesn't explain it as well as the Hebrew does. But the Hebrew really gives more of the implication that there's a greed in Balaam's request. <laughs> he wants the money. He wants the power. He wants the prestige. And then God's response is fine. Do what you want. But I'm going to speak to you again. And I'm going to let you go. And I'm going to let you do this. But boy, oh boy, I'm not happy. That's the Kevin paraphrase of this verse. That's what we see here in the text. Right? So this this language of the text in Hebrew, the Hebrew wording it echoes other instances of God's anger with people in rebellion who have, sorry, who have a rebellious state of mind. You ever wonder why bad stuff happens to you? Right? When you made a decision and your decision led to a bad outcome, any of you ever made a decision and you had a bad outcome from it? I raised my hand high on that one. Okay. I have made decisions that have had a very bad outcome. Why did God, if God is sovereign, why does he allow it? Because sometimes God allows us in our free will to completely reject what he wants us to be doing. That's this mystery. (laughs) And then God's got to work with us in the mess that we put ourselves into, right? Our pursuit of wholeness must be a pursuit of God's will in all areas of our lives, right? So what drives my will? For Balaam here, it's the money, it's the power, and it's the prestige. I think I, I, think I told this story before. I'm sure I have in the 13 years I've been here. But when I made the decision to leave my career in the computer industry and become a pastor, like I was making really good money. I was living down, uh, working downtown Montreal, working one of the biggest buildings downtown Montreal. I had this gorgeous view of the city. I had a staff. I was traveling all over the world and doing different contracts. I was in Japan. I was in South Korea, I was traveling all over the U.S. Like it was awesome. I was a young single guy with a gold American Express card. Life was great. <laughs> it was a lot of fun. <laughs> And then God stepped into my life and I believe called me to leave all that behind and to go into ministry. And I was all excited about it and I'm all pumped about this. And then I go see my boss and it turned out, no word of a lie, the day I gave in my resignation, 12 other people from our department resigned that same day. Our department was in chaos was in absolute chaos because what happened is the 12 others, I was number 13 to resign that day. The 12 others quit to go to our competitor, our flat-out competitor that were literally across the street. There was our building, and then there was the IBM building, and they were just going across the street, okay? And I'm now in this building, and I get brought in to the senior vice president's office. 
And he's looking at my resignation letter. And I put in my resignation letter that I was moving to like Elmira, Ontario to live among the Mennonites to become an associate pastor and to go to seminary part-time. And I wrote that. And he's looking at this going, he had no category to put that in. None. And he crumpled it up and he put it in the trash. And he says, I have a Ford Mustang in the parking lot with your name on it. Do you want it to stay? Now, I'm not a car guy. But I almost became a car guy that day. (laughs) A convertible Ford Mustang for free. (laughs) I didn't go look at the color, okay? Couldn't deal with that temptation. Because if it was black, it was a done deal. I would have like, I'm taking the car. Go home and tell Danielle, I took the car, babe. Like, it's like, (laughs) we're staying. I took the car. (laughs) Right? What drives your will? What drives it? You have to ask yourself that question very seriously because there's a little part of me, even with the good thing, that I want to see the church grow and I want to see more people accept Christ and I want to see churches planted all across this city, that I want to see a movement of churches planted in the nation's capital that has an impact in the rest of Canada because this is the spiritual heart of this country and we need to take it back from the enemy. Okay, that sounds like I can get behind this, but there's a little part of me in my flesh that goes, I really hope I get the credit for it. I hope I get the recognition for it. I hope someone notices me. And you and I need to know that that is a little part of us so that we can kill it and give it to God's will. If God actually fulfills this and my name is nowhere on it, praise be to God. If my name is on seeing churches planted all over our city and no one knows who I am, praise be to God. In fact, if all these churches that I kind of dream about actually get planted in the next 20 years and I'm seen as, wow, Kevin's odd. And he's weird. And we actually don't even really like him. And we're actually not going to invite him to the table of the big players. Praise be to God. See, we need to figure out what drives our will. And that's a serious, serious question. You're not going to come up with the answer to that question right away. Unless God gives it to you. Maybe in the last couple of songs as we close, God will give you that question, the answer. But you've got to do that. You've got to figure out what is, where's my will coming from? Because Jesus said these words in Luke 22, verse 42. He says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. This is him praying before his crucifixion. God, if you're willing, take it from me. Yet not my will, your will be done. That's the life. Sometimes it means dying. Sometimes it means crucifixion. Sometimes it means suffering. Sometimes it means not getting the money, not getting the health, not getting the car, not getting the boy, not getting the girl. We don't know. But not my will. Your will be done. That's the first question. What's driving my will? The second question that we ask ourselves as we're in this journey called life, we ask ourselves the question, is God trying to get my attention? In the life that I am living, is God sending a talking donkey? <laughs> now, we're going to close the service. We're all going to go, ah, 
believe. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. We're not going to do that. Okay. Said I wasn't going to do that. Now I've got that in my head. Is God trying to get your attention? Like this miracle here of Numbers chapter 22 is the weirdest thing. It's so bizarre. Right? I can get Moses parting the Red Sea. I can get Moses smacking rocks and water coming. I get uh, God sending quail to feed the people and manna from heaven, all of that stuff. But this conversation between this sorcerer and a talking donkey is crazy. But that's what God does. God uses the crazy to get our attention. God uses the little things to get our attention. God uses things that you and I would never expect to get our attention. We just got to go, am I paying attention? Am I so busy trying to fulfill Kevin's will that I don't even see what God is doing? Where is God trying to get your attention? I love what the angel says to Balaam. He says this in verse 32. He says, I have come here to oppose you because your path is a reckless one before me. God uses the donkey to break through Balaam's will. He's going there prepared to take the money, to take the prestige, to take the fame. And the angel says, no, I'm breaking this. I'm letting you go, but boy, when you get there, you're going to have very different words to say (laughs) because you're going to have God's words to say, right? So where is God trying to get your attention? Where is God sending you a talking donkey? If I'm your talking donkey today, um, praise be to God, okay? I've been called worse, okay? And that's okay, right? But where is God sending you a talking donkey? Where is he trying to get your attention, right? Is it the challenging word of a friend? Is it the challenging word of a loved one, of a family member? Is it something that you read in your Bible that you don't like? Maybe it's something really crazy. And God is actually doing the miraculous in your life. And you're choosing in your will to ignore it. I think so often we give in to sin because deep, 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 deep down we want to sin. We like our sin. We have fun with our sin. We blame Satan. We blame the temptation. We blame our flesh. But there's a little part of us that wills it to happen. And God is in the business of sending ways out. Like when, Bible, when the Bible teaches us that there is always a way out of the temptation that the world sends us, there's always a way out of the temptation you face. There is always a way out of the temptation that you face. Do you see it? Are your eyes open to it? Are you paying attention? Right? So, question number one, what drives my will? Question number two, is God trying to get my attention? And finally, just to wrap up, question three is why is my will important to my holiness journey? Why is my will, why is the decisions I make important to my pursuit of holiness? I'm just going to read three verses from the New Testament to answer that question for us today. Matthew 12, verse 50 says, For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. 
whoever does my father's will. (laughs) Doesn't mean we'll always get this perfect. But Jesus' teaching shows us that submitting to our father's will shows the world that we are brothers and sisters and children of God. Matthew 6, verse 10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the Lord's prayer. When I was a little kid growing up in my French-Canadian Catholic background, boy, we prayed this one a lot. We prayed this one every time I was in trouble. We prayed this, (laughs) and I was in trouble a lot back in elementary school. We prayed this a lot. Your will be done. This is how God wants us to pray, to submit to his will. 1 John chapter 2, verse 17, and we're actually going to get deeper into this verse in the series that we're going to start next week, because next week we're starting a series to go through the letter of 1 John. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 17 says, The world is passing away, and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. You see, knowing the will of God is crucial in our holiness journey. And it starts with God's will that none should perish. That God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but they will have everlasting life. And then John 3.17 continues, because the Son of Man, the Son of God, didn't come into the world to condemn it, because the world is already condemned. You see, in our sinful nature, just by being human, we're already, we are born, even though God is sovereign and God created us for such a time as this, and he knit us together in our mother's womb and all of those verses, we're still born into sin which is outside of the Father's will. And he brings us back by his will, by sending Jesus to die for us. And that is the first step of knowing the Father's will. It's not about going to church. It's not about being religious. It's not about keeping all these rules and regulations or listening to your mom or listening to your dad, but please do that, okay? Because your parents are going to send me emails that I just told you to not listen to them, okay? It's about knowing who Jesus is, that God loves you, and that your sin, my sin, could never, ever, ever be dealt with in our own will. And so we turn to Jesus. We say, Father God, I turn from my sin. I repent of it. I don't want this. I don't want this to define who I am. I want your love to define who I am. And I give you my life. Come into it and make me new. And if you pray like that here in the room, come and tell me during the cafe time when we have coffee. I'd love to celebrate with you. If you do that at church online, click that pop-up that shows up. We'd love to celebrate and rejoice with you. That is the first part of God's will. And then the second part of God's will is welcome to the journey of holiness, where God is going to work through every single part of your life. He's going to work on your heart. He's going to work on your mind. He's going to work on your body. 
He's going to work in your family. He's going to work at your school. He's going to work at your job. He's going to work on your hockey team. He's going to work in your comic book collecting club. Wherever you go, you are on a journey of holiness. And Jesus is going to make you holier and holier and holier each and every day. Our pursuit to become whole must be the pursuit of knowing God's will for every part of our lives. Let's pray. Lord God, I praise you and thank you so much for your will. Thank you, God, that even in the times when I have been disobedient to your will, you have sent talking donkeys into my life. You've sent my wife, you've sent my kids, you've sent my pastor, you've sent men in my small group, you've sent women in my small group. Like you are just all the time sending these amazing people into my life to help me know your will, to help me know your plans, and to encourage me and to build me up on this journey. So God, I praise you and thank you for each and every one of them who've played a part in my life. And Father God, I pray for all of us here today that your will would be done. That your will, not our will, would be done in our families, in our church, in our workplace, in our school. And God, if you want to do a work in a part of our life where we have been hanging on to our will, God, today we say we give it to you. May your will be done. And so God, help us to really discern what's driving our will, Help us to be attentive to what you are doing, God, to help correct us and guide us. And Lord, I pray that we would seek your will in all the parts of our lives as we trust you on this journey of wholeness. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.